Our scripture reading is from 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread and baked, bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and they lay, then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. <coughs> I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When, when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over, over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shephat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who, who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends of God, Elijah sensed God, heard God in that quiet presence 
just at a time when he needed to have that. It was an answer to his despair and ultimately an encouragement to him and a renewed call to ministry. Elijah had come to Mount Horeb after one of the greatest victories in any biblical, of any biblical prophet. He had a showdown on Mount Carmel, and he won. And he won big time. It, it, it was epic. It was, it was amazing. It, it was enough to, to make you weep. And yet, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to have the fire blast down from heaven and to, and to have it lick up all the water around those, those sacrifices. It wasn't enough that the prophets of Baal were destroyed. It wasn't enough to have the restoration of rain come at the word spoken by Elijah. Jezebel, Jezebel had not been convinced after the showdown on Mount Carmel. She did not accept the results of the contest and was looking for ways to get Elijah. She focused all the power of the state against Elijah and his life was still in danger. So Elijah is discouraged, he's afraid, he's distraught. Why doesn't God finally give me some peace and rest? Why doesn't God finally work it out so that all of Israel, the king and the queen as well, finally realize the truth of God and finally reform the corrupt nation to its former glory? Why does evil persist in the face of well-proven, well-documented power of God? Why didn't this power encounter work? Something had snapped in Elijah. Something had caused him to obsess about Jezebel and her threat of violence. Here, he had won this fantastic victory. Branded in his mind is the image of fire coming down from heaven, consuming everything. This, in this power encounter, God had won marvelously, unmistakably, decisively. And all Elijah can think about is Jezebel. He's absorbed by it. It controls his thinking, and suddenly his vision of life narrows to the, from the cosmic victory over the gods of the, of the powerful nations to the angry threats of one woman who couldn't even act immediately and who had to speak through, through a messenger, couldn't go herself, couldn't send soldiers. She was limited and held back, but here he was, stricken by spiritual myopia. Elijah was now a whimpering mass of fear and self-loathing. And what's worse, he wallows in it. He allows all these threats to sink deeply into his soul, as, as rich as his faith had been, as rich as this experience had been. How is it possible? You know, as, as richly as God had spoken, Elijah blocks it all out. Discouragement. Have we ever felt that way? How often aren't we discouraged in our Christian walk? Something goes well. We have these high moments. God, I'm with you. God, I see you. God, I, I feel you near me. And then someone says something, or something goes wrong, or, or something changes, and we're going, oh, yeah, is there a God? Why, why, why am I feeling so far away? 
something doesn't go and suddenly everything is bad? Why do we listen to that one negative voice and, and not listen to the nine positive ones? We get turned off. We get reluctant to serve again. We get passive. We get burned out. We, get, we just want to coast. Let someone else do it. I don't know anymore. Do you recognize something of the fear and the anxiety and the, dread, the dead tiredness of Elijah in yourself? He had worked so hard and he'd seen so much and nothing changed. You know, we worked hard to keep things together during COVID. We didn't do a perfect job of it, but we tried and we, we did okay to stay in touch with each other. We Zoomed, we live streamed, we masked, we kept physical distance, but we gathered and we, we, we were a church together and, and we hoped for better times would come when we could gather again. And now that we can gather again, we're tired. I talk to pastors from our churches in, in our denomination, in our region, and, and pastors from other churches in the United States, and, and they all say the same thing. We're tired. Our churches are anxious. Where is everyone? The pastors are asking, and the people are asking. And volunteerism is, is down, not just in churches, but across the board. Some organizations only have a third of the volunteers they need to run their programs. And we wonder, who's still with us now that we're back together? After two years of COVID, I just read engagement in the church is down. And it's been a trend for decades. And now only 23% of the people in our area worship at a church once a month. Maybe we've all joined Elijah at that place of discouragement Maybe he, we're not quite as down as he was. I mean, we're not, we're not as despondent asking God to take our lives, and even then we aren't sure if Elijah really meant it. I mean, why, why did he eat the bread when the angel gave it to him? Why didn't he just say, no, I don't need it, I'm, I want to die? Why, why did he, you know, why, why did he go? Why did he get up and eat and drink? Why didn't he just give himself up to Jezebel then? He knew what would happen then. But certainly, Elijah was in a funk. And this is where God speaks to Elijah, and, and we hear his complaint. And the, the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And listen, listen to his complaint. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me, too. Elijah had lost his focus. He had only looked at what he had been doing. He said, he's been so zealous. I've been so zealous for you, God. I've been your star. And he's the only one who believes anymore. I'm the only one left. Everyone else has fallen away. You know, this grand experiment you had with these people, it's lost. It's not happening anymore. And now I'm under threat. I've been so committed to you and I've taken so many risks and his life was in, my life is in so much danger. I can't stand it anymore. He changed his focus from what God was doing to what he was doing. And that's the real danger here. When we make ourselves the star in our spiritual accomplishments, we are set up for discouragement. 
And it will only be a matter of time before we will be devastated. When the church becomes our church, and we find ourselves protecting and controlling this thing, rather than letting God work freely through it and moving among us, then we've set ourselves up for defeat and discouragement. But notice, you know, Elijah didn't want to live. Jezebel wanted Elijah dead. But notice that God wanted Elijah even more. Even more than than Jezebel did. Even more than Elijah wanted himself. He tells Elijah, stand on the mountain before the presence of the Lord. Just like Moses. I mean, Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. It's a different name for it. So here is Elijah walking up the mountain just like Moses did. And then at Mount Horeb, God speaks in a way that shows his majesty and holiness. Elijah gets to experience the very presence of God. The Bible is keen to tell us God is not in that violent wind, nor is God in the violent earthquake. God is not in the fire. And in other places in Scripture, God is in those places. In that very place, God was in that. When God had announced his presence to Moses, in that very place there was an earthquake. There was thunder, smoke, fire. God communicated to Job in a whirlwind. Psalm 77 verse 18 says his voice is is like thunder and a whirlwind. And Revelation 4 says that lightning and thunder proceed from the throne in heaven. God certainly speaks these ways He certainly did communicate that way on Mount Carmel through fire that consumed everything, including the water surrounding the sacrifice. He certainly communicates in those ways. And yet, at Mount Horeb, God didn't do that. Only when he heard the gentle whisper that Elijah recognized, God is here. Elijah only heard a whisper, a wind. We don't even know what he heard but he recognized that God was present in it. It might not even have been a wind. One Bible translation puts it, a sound of sheer silence. The translation of that word is very elusive, just like that experience would have been very elusive. Whatever it is stands in contrast for, to all the... In, Contrast to all the banging and noisiness of the other experiences Elijah had. And, and furthermore, it's, it's not a voice. It's not a voice that Elijah heard. You know, we always talk about, oh, God speaks to me in this quiet, still voice. Elijah just had silence. He, he just, you know, boom, bang, fire, and all of a sudden, nothing. And he knew God was there. You know, in that quiet space is the overwhelming majesty of the living God. He just heard a stillness. He heard a gentle wind and knew something deep in his heart that God was there. And he was so struck by it, he pulled his cloak over himself and ran out of his cave to meet God there. And you wonder, why did God reveal his presence to Elijah? Why did he do that? Well, he wanted to snap that prophet out of his fear and despondency. Do not fear, Elijah. 
Remember who you are dealing with. It is me. Do not fear, Elijah, for the one with you is greater than the one in this world. Those enemies you fear, the Jezebels who seek your life are nothing compared to me. It's a comforting presence. It's a strengthening presence. It's an encouraging presence. And, and why, why in a gentle whisper? Perhaps because Elijah had already seen the power and the banging and the booming. Maybe God had to get Eli had Elijah in a different way. He had to tell it slant. He had to get at him in just, you know, that way that just, oh, yeah, right. God shows Elijah that he has more, more ways to speak than you would think. Sure, he speaks through earthquakes. Sure, he speaks through thunder and lightning. But also in the silence, in the gentle things, in the unlikely things. God shows up in those unexpected things, in the soft, subtle sounds of life. The wind in the pines, the rustle of the grass. And Elijah has enough sense to listen to it and hear it and stand up and take notice. Do we? We're not talking here about, you know, God told me. You know, people come up to me and say, God told me this and God told me that. Always red flags go up with me when I hear that because sometimes it's just baptizing your own hopes and dreams. This story is about being drawn into the presence of God in the quiet, gentle things of life. God is not always found in the fantastic, in the sensational, in the power displays. Sometimes God is found in the wonderful miracles of healing and deliverance. Sometimes God does choose a power encounter to transform lives, but not always, not even usually. Sometimes when we listen, we hear God in the gentle, in the ordinary, in the unseen sounds in our lives, in soft power, in trust, in persuasion, in quiet strength, in forgiveness. After all, who would have expected our Creator to arrive in the form of a helpless baby born to a poor couple in a remote cow stall. How powerful is that? We're not told what the gentle sound was, but it's not important, actually. But it was enough for Elijah to know that God is God, and God is with him. And that's what we get as well. How do you... How do you relate to the story? Where, how do you respond to it? Where do you find yourself in this story? Is this something you've experienced as well? Were you, were you at a place where you just knew God was there and you knew his kind presence was with you? Have you ever been surprised by an experience of God? What happened and how did that affect your spirit? Because God does come to us in those places. And he does somehow move with the power of his Holy Spirit to just let us know, I am here. And now we get to the difficult part of the story. Because for as much as you'd think that it changed Elijah, after having this quiet, gentle experience of God where he was there, 
It didn't seem to do much for him. Remarkably, Elijah's response to God both before and after the encounter are identical. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same question. And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Same answer. We would have expected Elijah to be changed by this. We would expect to read, and Elijah, was faith, his faith was renewed. His focus was sharpened, and he never feared Jezebel again and went boldly about God's business as he should have directly after Mount Carmel. But Elijah seems a bit thick. God resumes the conversation they were having, asking the very same question, and Elijah repeats his self-serving moaning about being so zealous and being in so much danger and being the only one. Here's Elijah in such a human moment. Even the anointed prophet of God missed the point of it all. The Lord Almighty, the God of the universe, the creator, had revealed himself to him, and Elijah remains afraid, petulant, self-serving. It's almost as if Elijah's response is, so what? So what if God shows himself to me? So what if, you know, what about my needs? We can be so stubborn and so thick-necked, just like Israel was. And here's Elijah living that. And it, here's, here's the gospel. Here's the good news. God doesn't let Elijah just sit there. God graciously overlooks this about Elijah. And he says, Elijah, you've just had enough here. You have had enough. And now it's time. God graciously overlooks this and gives him a job to do. He, got, he sends Elijah on a dangerous mission. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And while you were there, anoint a new king over Aram and a new king over Israel. In effect, Elijah has to, 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 uh, to instigate a two-fold coup, a two-fold com uh, political coup, and also anoint a successor for yourself. His new, his new um, mandate contains some irony. He's, he's done in by his confrontation with Jezebel, but this was nothing. That, that confrontation you had with Jezebel, Elijah, it's nothing. Now you need to step up into the big leagues. Now you need to step up and go and do something amazing. You need to stand up and, and, and change things. God says, go. There comes a time when inspiration must be followed up with action. There comes a time when sensing God's presence must be matched with mission. And that mission is subversive. It's to unseat the kingdom of darkness and re-elect the kingdom of light. It's to tear down the walls of hostility, to bring peace where there's war, to bring healing where there's despair, to bring sight to the spiritually blind, to feed the hungry, to bind the brokenhearted and encourage the weak. God doesn't just refocus our attention on Him and leave it at that. We've all had these mountaintop experiences, but when we have them, you don't just say, cool. Or, how nice for me that I've had this 
wonderful experience with God? Or was it real? Did it happen? No, God says, I showed you myself now. And now, go. We can't remain at that mountaintop hoping for the next religious experience will be even better than the next one or than the last one. God doesn't let us leave us there. He says, I've shown you it's enough. You see it. Now go. A revelation that doesn't change us, that doesn't lead to action, doesn't affect new obedience, does not change anything in this world. If we leave our encounter with God to Sunday morning worship, and five minutes later after the service pick up where we left off, the devil doesn't care. But if we, this afternoon or Monday or, or Thursday, would go out and do the will of God and let, this, let his word transform our lives, then our world changes. God says, go, you've met me now. Let this gospel change your attitudes, change your feelings, transform your priorities and actions. Let God's word move you to deal with a problem you've been ignoring too long. To forgive that person after 20 years of hanging on to it. To face that alcohol that's, cha that's affecting your life. To realize that you have to use the opportunities I give you to speak the gospel where you are. To realize that you have isolated yourself too long and need to let other Christians into your life and help you grow and be stronger. Elijah finds God in a gentle whisper, and he gets a lot more. He gets a renewed calling that affects his world. No time for fear, no time for self-pity. He had new orders as the anointed one to speak the word of God to the people. And God said, and don't worry, Elijah, I've got 7,000 more. You thought you were the only one. You have a community. You have more, more people. So be ready to hear God in the gentle whisper. But be more ready to pursue the call that God gives you in that quiet place. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, God, that you are our ever-present God. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would convict us of your nearness and show us yourself, your kind, loving, awesome self. And Lord, help us to be changed by that. Help us to know that you are God and that you have a calling for us to live as followers of Jesus in this world. And we pray this in his name. Amen.